Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning and Merry Christmas. It's good to have you guys here. It's good to be here with all the kids and see the festivities. Let's pause and let's pray as we get started this morning. Father, we set aside a a season to remember you, to remember your incarnation, your being born And Lord, even as I had mentioned, for many people, this is a difficult time. It is a time filled with emotion. It is a hard time to go through because people who have been close to us are no longer with us. And we pray for comfort. We pray for peace. We pray that you would continue to strengthen those who are going through this time of heartache, Lord. And Lord, we pray that it would also be a time of hope, that it would be a time where we remember that you have extended yourself to us. And we thank you for that hope. We thank you for what this season represents. And we pray, Lord, that our time together would be rich with that awareness. And we do ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm actually very excited, not that I'm not excited other times, but this has been something as I've been trying to wrestle with how do we capture the meaning of this season, the fact that Christ came, what does that mean? Shouldn't it still be something that changes the world? And and as you guys know, we have been doing for the last, gosh, I don't know, eight years or so, this Advent conspiracy where we've tried to keep meaning in Christmas, where it isn't about buying things. It is about giving of ourselves. And we have contributed to so many things in the past. And again, we are still collecting money towards uh, the children and what we want to do with our children in the future in a building. Uh, I have made some phone calls this week. Uh, One of the places we called on, they're actually tearing down, so that's not good. We won't be staying there. But we do want to continue pressing forward to some of the things that we can do for our kids. And so the money that you save by not buying gifts for people who don't need gifts, that money can be used towards the building that will be able to help our children as well as some curriculum and things that we are investing in here in the near future to help better our ability to communicate this incredible message to our children. 
But this is a message that is still meant to change the world. And, and so many times I feel like it becomes anemic because of the holiday, because it becomes so commercial. It doesn't have the impact in our lives, and it stays so far removed oftentimes, not always, but many times, from having the impact that it is meant to have. And as we've been talking about living in anticipation, I want to talk to you about the, min- the mystery of Christ this morning. And I'm going to talk about concrete, the printing press, electricity, the California gold rush, visual learning, and that's enough. You know, we've looked at Luke and we've looked at Matthew, and we took a, a brief detour into Revelation chapter 12 and, of course, talked about the dragon with seven heads because that's always what you talk about at Christmas, right? That was funny, I thought. Uh, note to self, and don't use that one again. But John has a whole different point of view and perspective on this message. And his gospel looks at things differently. There's no shepherds, there's no magi, there's no baby being born in a feeding trough. And that's what a manger is. We just use the word manger because it sounds better in songs. But in John chapter 1, starting at verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, John's readers at that time would have immediately connected these words to other words that were a part of their sacred scripture, that in Genesis chapter 1. And John is intentionally connecting who Christ is with the creation and what God did. Because that creative work that began is showing up here in the Messiah. And it's important to see that connection. In Genesis chapter 1, we see in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, in the beginning was the word. Let there be light, the light of men. He is tying the event of creation to the person of Christ because there is a creative work that God is continuing to do and that was God's intention to do all along. Now, creation... And the creative work is an amazing thing because the ability to create or invent something has the ability to change the direction. And that's happened in our world so many times. Romans invented concrete. It's a different material than what we have today. But their inventing this concrete allowed them to build the structures like the Colosseum and so many other things. And this simple invention, or it seems simple now because it's everywhere, changed the world. It allowed people to live with more uh, stability 
actually healthier, healthier situations. You know, the difference between people who are living in places where it's very rural and there's dirt underneath them. There's a lot more disease. And so it changed history. This invention, the printing press in 1450, it catapulted civilization, giving us the ability to learn and to get information from people all over the world. The Gutenberg Press, the Bible was the first thing printed on that. And all of a sudden, we have the ability to read scripture that had previously been only for the elite who could read it in their language or was chained oftentimes to the pulpits. And so now this invention, this this creative work catapults mankind into the future. What about in the 18th century, the discovery of electricity and the invention of the light bulb? Because of that, we are able to stay up all night and watch Netflix, right? We have the ability to, to become people who work whenever we want to, read whenever we want to. We don't have to have candles all the time burning. It has changed civilization. All these things, and what John is doing is he is trying to help us understand that Christ is a part of this creative work that God is doing. And the creative work continues to happen. It happens in our lives and it's continuing to happen as God is working, as God is speaking, as God is doing things. We have the ability now to make artificial hearts and and to work with the, the DNA to target disease. And who knows how many other things that will happen. Well, God is still working too. It's not like God wound this all up way back then, let it go and said, okay, I'm done. God is continuing to work. And John is attaching the person of Christ to that creative work. And this is important because for the first century Jesus followers, they didn't talk so much about the baby born in the manger. In fact, we only have Matthew's gospel, which is 30-some verses, and Luke's gospel that actually talk about this event. Paul doesn't talk about it in any of his writings. We don't see it in Luke's account in the book of Acts. But the apostle Paul does write about Christ, and the writers of the New Testament talk about Christ, which is the Messiah, the anointed one, and they use a word to describe who he is, and the word is mystery. Now, mystery is not like Sherlock Holmes and uncovering something. Mystery is discovering something, but it's not something you discover and then that's it. It's something that you endlessly are discovering. It's like the universe. It is too vast for us to make one discovery and say, yeah, we got it all figured out. No, we are constantly building stronger telescopes that be, are able to help us understand. We're, we're setting little probes out to Mars and other places, and they're feeding back information, which I think is just amazing, right? It's constantly learning, constantly discovering And you see, Christ is the mystery of God being revealed. He's being revealed to us. And I'm going to 
shoot through a bunch of passages that talk about this mystery so that we can see how prevalent it is in Scripture and help us to understand why they were saying this. Because it's so important to recognize the mystery of Christ. Not that it's something we can't know, but something that we are to lean into, that we are to discover, that we are allowed to shaping us still. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he says, He made known to us the mystery of his will, that's God, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So the purpose is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. Unity. Remember at the birth, peace on earth and to those whom his favor rests. And can we for a moment stop and see that the motive for this was according to his good pleasure. That the reason God purposed these things was because it was his pleasure to do that. I just love saying that. I just love saying his pleasure. Because I don't think we think of God as having pleasure in the creation. You know, for many of us, the story has been, well, you know, God sent Jesus because we were so bad. He needed to do something to help us out of our bad situation. But it was the pleasure of God that moved this, that allowed this mystery to be known and to be revealed. And it was to bring unity in heaven and on earth. Paul tells us in Romans, the message I proclaim about Jesus in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. Now, hidden means it was there, but it just wasn't known. Ephesians again, he says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This mystery is that through the gospel, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. When he says Gentiles, he means the world. Because at this time, there was the Jews and there was everybody else. And so he's talking about the world and he's talking about being heirs together. It sounds like unity to me. It sounds like this mystery was to bring unity to the world, the Gentiles and the Jews, to allow them to be heirs together in the promise that is in Christ Jesus. So this mystery is being revealed in the person of Christ. In verse 9 of that same chapter, it says, And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. 
Again, we're seeing the creative process taking place. God who created all things, this mystery revealed in Christ is part of the creative work that God is doing, that God has intended all along that was hidden, but now is revealed. In Colossians 2, Paul says, my goal is this, or excuse me, Colossians 1. God gave me to present to you the word of God, which is another way of saying the gospel. It is the message of Jesus in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, something new is taking place. Something new is being created in humanity. And God is doing a work in uniting humanity through the person of Christ. Chapter 2 of Colossians. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's a lot of treasure. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, why am I giving you all these scriptures? Because I want us to understand that those first followers of Jesus described Jesus and what had taken place not as a baby who was born, not as a rabbi who spoke, but as the mystery of God being revealed, something that is immense, something that is in line with creation itself. Something powerful is taking place. The creative work of God is showing up and doing something. And he's doing it in humanity. In 1848, they discovered gold in California. And at that time, they estimate that there was about 157,000 people living in California territory, which is just mind-blowing, right? Considering there's 10 million in L.A. County alone, right? When they discovered gold, within two years, the population doubled. Originally, there was about 150,000 Native Americans, about 6,500 who were from Mexico, and the rest were non-Native Americans. But then all of a sudden, they discovered gold. Another 100,000 come in less than two years. And within the end of 1850, there was over 300,000 people who came to California from all over the world. They had so many ships come into San Francisco area from people coming to discover gold that they were able to build towns out of the wood from those ships. They said that one out of every 90 Americans lived in California at that time, which I believe if I'm driving on traffic on a Friday evening, right, they are still here. Because of the growth, it pushed California into becoming the 31st state, 
with the recognition of this many people. It's why it's called the golden state, because of gold. Most of the money that was made, though, wasn't from the miners. It was actually people profiting, selling things to the miners, selling eggs for what's equivalent of $25 an egg. I know. Next time you go to the store, appreciate the price of eggs. You see, the thing is, the gold was always there. It's just when it was discovered, when it was revealed, that's when everything changed. God has been working. God has been doing something all along, but we didn't see it until Christ showed up and revealed it. This is the mystery of God and what is taking place and what he's doing. Remember, this is part of the creation story. God didn't just set things up a long time ago and leave them. God has been creating, speaking, recreating, and it shows up most clearly in the person of Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Now, I love how he just throws that in, right? The writer of Hebrews, oh, and by the way, through Christ, he made the universe. And if you're like me, you start thinking, how does that happen? You see, because I think of Christ as the baby born in the manger, Jesus, the, the person, the human being who lived. How did the person create the universe? But then we start seeing that the idea of Christ is talking about something much bigger than the baby, much bigger than just the rabbi, that the Christ who Christ revealed, who Jesus revealed, is actually part of what we call the Trinity, And that God, through Christ, created the universe and he shows up and he starts to reveal this to us. So the Christ to the first century followers was not about just that little event. It was about God creating something new and how God was creating and recreating the world And not just the world, humanity itself. Do we recognize that this was the purpose to recreate humanity? To to show us what needed to be done, to reveal to us. See, this is powerful. This is something that captures our heart, or should. I mean, there's gold in them there, hills, right? There is something here that we need to grasp hold of that can change our lives, that can change our civilization, that can change humanity itself. This is the intent. This is the purpose. So Paul would say in Ephesians, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace. That's a big thing for someone to be. 
who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Again, we're talking about Jew and Gentile, and he's saying, no more, we're dividing that no longer, I'm destroying the wall of hostility. Just let that sink in a little bit. In our time, in our culture, in our world, do you have any division or hostility? No, we're past that, right? By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. You see, that's why he's attaching Jesus to the creative work of God because God is creating in Christ one new humanity and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Now, how does the cross put to death hostility? I mean, isn't there still hostility? It is the work that Christ came to do, did it fail because there's still hostility? What is taking place? Some people are able to read textbooks and learn. I know that's what they're there for. They're able to just read Ikea instructions and put things together. And then there's me. I need the pictures, right? When I go to order something at a restaurant, I look for pictures because that helps me make the decision, right? I'm one of these visual learners. Anyone else a visual learner? I I remember the first time Corrine gave me some airborne, the pills that you drop in the, the water. I picked up the package and I looked at it and then I took one and I put it in my mouth. Now I looked at the package, but for some reason I didn't read, you're supposed to drop it in water. And so I just dropped it in my mouth and that was a rush, right? (laughs) But some of us are visual learners. We have to see things. I remember when I was managing a little league team, I brought a friend who actually pitched in the majors for the Blue Jays for a short time, and he came and worked with our pitchers to show them how to stand, balance, step, all those things, because seeing it helped them to put the process together. See, I I could read them something. Here's what I think you should do. You should stand this way vertically and aim towards... You know, that would mean nothing, right? Kids be looking like, huh? But then when Gray got up there, he was able to stand. He was able to show them, and they were able to pick that up. And we had a winning season, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Rick was on the receiving end of that winning season. <laughs> you see, sometimes we have to see to learn. And what we have in Christ is a visual representation of what we, who we 
are supposed to be. And so Peter writes, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. We should just stop there and let that sink in, right? If you suffer for doing good, that's commendable. That's outrageous. What do you mean commendable, right? I don't think that's commendable. I think that that's unjust. But he says, that's commendable. If you do what's good and you suffer for it, that's commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So we're seeing the example of Christ that we should follow in his steps of suffering. Merry Christmas, everybody. He goes on and he says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Entrusted himself. That's a great description of faith. To entrust yourself to the one who judges justly when there is hostility towards you. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Here is our example. Here is how we are to live. Here is how we are to conduct ourselves in a world that is hostile to us. We are to entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. Jesus said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist the person who is evil. If they ask you to go one mile, go two. If they ask for your coat, give them your cloak also. What are you doing, Jesus? I'm giving you an example of how to live in this world so that you can change the world that is hostile towards one another. You see, what we want to do is dig our heels in, defend our position, prove you're wrong, prove that I'm right, and then go have a cup of coffee and say, yeah, I showed them. And we listen to our radio stations, we watch our TV programs, we buttress our defenses and how we are going to argue. And Jesus is saying, I want you to turn the other cheek and I want you to entrust yourself to him who judges justly. Because if you live like I lived, then you will see this new creation that God is doing show up in you and show up in the world around you. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's mysterious. There's something going on here that is beyond my ability to fully comprehend. Something is taking place, and I'm being invited into this. See, Jesus was born so that he could cry our cry, but it was so that we, in turn, could cry his cry. It wasn't just so that he could identify with us. It was so that we would identify with him. 
And, and if this Christmas story doesn't take us to this place, we have missed everything. There is gold beneath us and we're not digging. There is treasure to be found in the mystery of Christ that will change not only us, but the world we live in. Because his intention was to bring unity, to tear down the dividing wall, to bring this peace. Do you see how this understanding of Christ, this understanding affects everything? about what we see and how we read scripture. You know, Ben sent me, uh, he sends me these daily verses. Miss Ben, he'll be here soon with the baby. And so just with this idea of what God is doing, the mystery to bring unity, one of the passages that he left with me yesterday says, so then Make it your top priority to live a life of peace with harmony in your relationships, eagerly seeking to strengthen and encourage one another. Yes, it makes so much sense. It is the mystery of Christ. It is the creative work of what Christ is doing. You see, all these scriptures start to, to bring about this. God is doing something. He's creating something. Where is he creating it? He's creating it in us. And so Paul would say in Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Where is it? It's in you. Sorry, I'm getting excited. Christmas is about the new creation that God has mysteriously revealed through the person of Jesus. It is the treasure that is beneath our feet that will bind our hearts together, that will tear down the dividing walls. It is what we need. How does this take place? How do we become in Christ? Is it you believe if I believe something, is it I behave, I, I act a certain way? Or maybe it's I become. Maybe it's a combination of the things that we do. You see, I believe that we become what we worship. I don't think it's enough to believe in something because the devils believe and they tremble. The Pharisees believed scripture, but they were far removed from the heart of God. I think we have to become something. And I think when we worship, like the Samaritan woman asked Jesus, where are we supposed to worship? We say here, you say in Jerusalem, and Jesus says true worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth because that's what God is looking for. You see, how we become in Christ is we start to worship. And when we worship Christ, we are worshiping the revelation of who God is. And it begins to change us, even like it did Cornelius, the Roman centurion. Even like it did Zacchaeus, the tax collector. All these people who were marginalized, who were outcast, who were not part of the in crowd, who had different beliefs. We had magi coming and giving gifts. What's going on? And God is saying, I'm looking for worshipers. 
I'm not looking to start a new team. I'm not going to start another religion and make another dividing wall. I am looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. And Jesus is the revelation of that. Jesus said in John 17, For you granted him authority, speaking of himself, God has granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given me. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. When we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating the mystery of God that is creating something new, that is changing us, making us part of that new creation, that is giving us the ability to bring unity to the world we live in by acting like our example, following in the steps of Christ and trusting ourselves to the one who judges justly. When we do this, we will strike gold. When we do this, we will invent what the world needs. When we do this, we will become what the world needs. And we are invited to participate in this story. We are invited to enter into the mystery of Christ so that it might be revealed this hope in you. Let's pray. Lord, may this story shake the foundation of our lives. May it change the way we live. May it push us to be more like you. May it cause us to bend our knee and worship and follow you so that we might know you, so that we might be changed by you. And Lord, my prayer for all of us here this morning is that we would be people who worship, that we would recognize the truth, that we would know you just as something rings true and we know that it's the right thing. May this truth ring true within our souls and may we bow our knee before you and allow your work, the mystery of what you are doing to continue to work within us. We thank you for the revelation. We thank you for this mystery. May we delve into it deeper and deeper 
and in turn allow your cry to become ours. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May you discover the mystery of Christ. May it capture your heart and may it change your life. May it make you rich beyond your ability to understand. May it help us to be more like Jesus. Merry Christmas, everyone. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. There's food out there. Stick around and enjoy our time together. God bless you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.